If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? In the Pew Bible, it would be. In the Pew Bible, it would be page 1066. For the people that hear that on the podcast, it's going to be interesting. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. The New English Bible, verses 26 and 27, says it this way. If you are angry, do not let anger lead you into sin. Do not let sunset find you still nursing it. Leave no loophole for the devil. I want to talk to you very briefly today about anger. I just feel like the Lord would have me do that. I want to give you a definition of anger. I'm going to give you some examples of anger. I want to share with you what causes us, some things that causes us to get anger. And then I want to share with you the results of our anger. Our anger affects our physical and our our mental. And then I want to give you the Bible guidelines for anger. Our third president, Thomas Jefferson, in his writings of rules of living, had this to say about anger. When angry, count to 10 before you speak. If very angry, 100. Now many years later, Mark Twain said it this way, when angry count to 10 before you speak, if very angry, swear. (laughs) I don't don't recommend that, okay? That's a no-no, but that was Mark Twain. But the American Dictionary of English Language says this, anger is an emotional reaction of hostility that brings personal displeasure either to ourselves or to someone else. Anger can start as a mild irritation and uh, which can turn into indignation, which can become fury. Fury suggests rage or even rage or even um, a loss of emotional control where we just blurt out anything or we swear. And then finally fury can give way to rage, which is really temporary loss of control, where people beat up on others or punch holes in walls. Um, Anger can be caused by many different reasons. It can be caused by a wrong motive. If you'll remember the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son, when the son came home and his father was so glad to see him, that he brought him in and gave him a robe and a ring and sandals and brought him in and had a fatted calf and they had a a party going on and the older son came in from the fields and he asked, he said, what's going on? And the servant told him, well, the son who was lost has come home and, and your dad has given him a fatted calf and thrown him a party. And the Bible said, the older son became angry and wouldn't go in. And he said to his dad, he left and took everything he had and you, he comes home and you give him a fatted calf and you've never done that for me. And his father looked at him and said, I gave him the fatted calf, but son, you own the farm. Wrong motive, wrong motive. He had no reason at all to be angry. 
There are times we get angry when things don't go our way. In Jonah chapter 4, God had spoken to a man called Jonah and told him that to go to Nineveh and tell Nineveh that if they didn't repent, they were going to be destroyed. And so after spending a few days at the local Fishbelly Motel, Jonah went ahead and when he came up on the beach, went to Nineveh. The Bible says the people repented, turned to God. And so God told Jonah, I'm not going to destroy them. And the Bible says Jonah got angry with God. What you said? These people need to be destroyed. He was angry. Why? Because it didn't go his way. He wanted God to destroy it. Many times we get angry when we feel we're not treated fairly. Uh, Ephesians 6 and 4 says, Father, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I know a lot of people who are angry with their parents because they don't feel their parents treated them right. I have three older sisters who my mother has been dead for several years, are angry with my mother because they don't feel that she treated me right. And I said, that's past. Don't worry about it. God's taking care of it. But they're angry because they don't feel that they or I were treated right. When God's word and will are knowingly disobeyed by God's people, the Bible says God gets angry. A good example of that is 1 Kings chapter 11. The Bible says that David was dead and his son King Solomon was on the throne. And it said King Solomon loved many foreign women after God had told him not to associate with them or to have them associate with him. And yet Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the Bible said his wives, I don't understand that, a thousand women. Honey, I love you. You're enough for me. But it said his wife turns his heart from the Lord. And God was angry with Solomon. We even get angry when someone tells us, now don't get angry. We get angry. I'm not angry. Or don't tell me not to get angry. We get angry. And the result of our anger is, we may not realize, but it is very far-reaching. Anger not only affects our lives, but it affects the lives of the people we come in contact with. Living with anger will scar or destroy every relationship we have. If it's a new relationship, it will cease to exist. If it's an intimate relationship, it will lose its intimacy. And anger lived with produces frustration. And there's a lot of people living with frustration today. That word frustration comes from the word frustrate. I looked it up in the Bible and then in the dictionary. In the Bible it's only used one time in the Old Testament and one time in the New Testament. The word frustrate in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of churches in Galatia and he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And in the Greek, 
That word frustrate means neutralize, cast off, or reject. If you were here last week, you heard about the grace of God and how God's grace just wants to be a blessing to us. And we can neutralize it or reject it. The American Dictionary of the English language says that frustration comes from the word frustrate. And it means to break or to interrupt something, hence to defeat. In other words, frustration is having the normal events of our life interrupted. Having our normal event schedule of events in our life be a disappointment to us or even be defeated in what we're trying to do. I have a family member whose spouse died 25 years ago and she is still angry with him. She has lived a life of frustration all these years. She feels that he robbed her of his presence. She's angry and frustrated. She feels that he left her alone and she feels that the dream that she had of how they would live in retirement is gone. She's defeated. She feels her life now is worthless and, and meaningless. This family member is angry at her spouse because he left her. She's frustrated even though he didn't do it on his on purpose. It was through no fault of his own and yet she's lived these last 20 years defeated with little or no hope of the future. She thinks there's nothing left for her when in reality that's not the truth at all. She has a lot to offer. She has much to offer. But her anger has wiped out and her frustration has blocked any dream, any idea of a future for her. And there can be many reasons why anger causes us to live with frustration. An unexpected pregnancy, all of a sudden, we blame our spouse. I got news for you, I'm sure you know this, it takes two to tango, but you know, an unexpected illness. Many times we blame God or we blame our heritage or, or we blame life in general and we live frustrated and uptight. A year of bad crops or having good crops but bad crop prices can have a financial hardship or unexpected loss at calving or bad beef prices can cause financial hardship and we become angry and frustrated. A plague like the coronavirus, which seems to destroy our economy and our normal way of life. And we become, these things can add up and we become angry and we begin to get frustrated and maybe with our occupation. I know a farmer who every time I see him, well, I'm gonna get out of farming, I've had it. He's been telling me that for 15 years. But we become angry and frustrated with our occupation or with, with God and maybe we begin to take it out in our relationship with others. I remember a time when the Lord was dealing with me about something 
about a calling he had placed on my life, something that he wanted me to do. And, and I know none of you would ever do this, but I was arguing with God. I didn't think I was ready for this. And one day, my wife said something to me, and rather sharply I spoke to her. And then I walked off, and I felt inside of me the Holy Spirit say, how dare you talk to my daughter that way? And I thought, Owen, what's the matter with you? I wasn't angry with her, but that frustration. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who's made an unwise decision, and they've chosen to go in a direction that you don't think they, they should go in, and you're angry with them, and you're frustrated, and every time the two of you get together, your relationship with them is continually marred by your frustration with their decisions in life. When people are living a life filled with frustration, we just add to that frustration when we tell them, you know, you're frustrated, you ought not to be that way. We just add to that frustration. Did you know that anger that produces frustration will ruin your, life, your health? Frustration affects your health. Scientific research, scientific research studies have shown a correlation between our emotional and physical responses. Without going into too much detail, depth using medical terms that I have trouble pronouncing and don't understand unless I have a book in front of me, the immune system function plummets in people who are frustrated. Science has discovered there is a correlation between your emotional state and your immunological state. In other words, when you're living with anger and frustration, you're more prone to disease, sickness. Living in frustration will ruin your health. Living in frustration will also cause you to walk in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness limits God's ability to forgive us. I quote the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus specifically said that. If you don't forgive, my Father which is in heaven is not going to forgive you. Unforgiveness continually links us to the pain of the past incidents. And it holds us prisoner to the past so that it destroys any future we may have had or dreamed of. So what does the Bible say? What are Bible guidelines for anger? I see three of them, real quickly. In Ephesians chapter 4, you read them. Be angry. If you are angry, do not angry lead you into sin. Do not let sunset find you still nursing it. And leave no loophole to the devil. Number one, be angry, but do not let anger lead you into sin. One translation says it this way. Be angry and sin not. Anger is not necessarily sinful. And not every expression of anger is wrong. It's okay to be angry. But don't carry that anger to the point of where it becomes sin. Well, brother, you know, what's sin to one person isn't another. Let me help you out. 
James 4 and 17. So then, if anyone knows to do right and doesn't do it or fails to do it, they are committing sin. Boom. You want to know? The Bible says two commandments. Moses, God gave Moses 10. Under the new covenant we have two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and that will tell you about loving your neighbor as yourself. It's okay to be angry, but don't carry that anger to the point of where it becomes sin. And a guideline for that is 1 Corinthians 13. The second guideline, not only you can be angry, but don't sin. The second in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't prolong your anger into the night. Resolve it. Take care of it. Clear it up. Deal with it. In Paul's day, the, the day ended at sunset and the new day started then. See, in the Jewish time, the day ended at sunset and the new day started at sunset. My grandmother, Seventh-day Adventist, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown because for them, Saturday was the Sabbath. She wouldn't do anything, wouldn't cook. Be sure that when that day ends that your problem, your anger problem is solved. Just as a seed or a plant left in the ground begins to take root, the longer you allow anger to remain in your mind, the stronger it will become. In other words, it will begin to take root inside of you. And it will produce a harvest that's related to that anger. You'll become frustrated. You'll be filled with unforgiveness. Sometimes you'll be filled with rage. You'll even mistreat others. I believe we need to take the scriptures literally when it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. We need to take it literally. If there's been a time of disagreement or anger throughout the day, no matter who it's with or where it's at, you need to clear it up by evening. When you lay your head on the pillow that night, you need to make sure that any feelings of anger have been resolved. You'll sleep better. You need to make sure that there's forgiveness and a clearing of the conscience. It may take you a little longer for your thought process and your emotions patterns to catch up with that if you've had anger issues for a long time. But if you'll resolve in your mind that you're going to forgive, you will tear up the seed of unforgiveness and frustration that that anger is going to cause and try and haunt you with. Don't sin. Don't hold your anger to the point of sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And the third guideline the Bible gives us is finally the last part of Ephesians chapter 4 and 27. Don't give the devil an opportunity. One translation says it this way. Don't give any loophole to the devil. And church, it means exactly what it says. Don't allow your anger to be expressed in such a way that your relationship with God is weakened 
and the devil can reproduce his character through you. Christianity is Jesus producing his character, his nature through us. Ephesians, when we submit to the Holy Spirit who lives within us, then the character, the nature of Jesus begins to flow out of us. Galatians chapter 6 tells us that. His love, his joy, his peace, his gentleness, his patience, his kindness. All of these things begin to flow out of us. That's the character of Jesus. And the devil knows that these are the traits that attract people to Jesus and to the one who can help them. And the devil is the master of counterfeit. And he aims to try to make us behave like him. And that's the writer's whole point here. Don't let anger get a hold of you and weaken you so that sin and frustration or unforgiveness or any other sin may come into your life. And the character and the nature of Jesus doesn't flow out of you. Instead, it's the character of the devil. So what can we do to win over our anger? There's four things quickly I want to share with you. Four things that we can do. If you realize that you have some anger within you that has brought you to a point you're living a life of frustration or maybe unforgiveness, simply repent and ask God to forgive you. 1 John 1.9. It's that simple. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. You don't know what I did. Doesn't matter. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, if we confess our sin, if the sins are listed here. No, no. It's that simple. Make up your mind that when the issue that angers you come up, you simply say this. God, I've repented of this. I've changed my mind. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forget. And in the name of Jesus, I just cast it down. I've asked you to forgive me. And the Bible said that if I... Confess my sin. You're faithful and just to forgive me. God's forgiven me. I like what Proverbs 19:11 says. It is prudent for a man to restrain his anger. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Listen, it's going to take practice. If you've lived with an issue that causes you anger for any length of time. It's going to take practice for you to repent and, and for you to cast that imagination down and get over it. But you know what? The Bible tells us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And then the second thing. So the first thing is repent. The second thing is this. Refrain from close association with anger-prone people. Don't hang around them. Because all they're going to do is feed your anger. Listen to Proverbs 22, 24 and 25. Don't make friends with quick-tempered people who sp- or spend time with those who have bad tempers. If you do, you will be like them. Then you will be in real danger. I like what Eugene Peterson's The Message Bible says. He says it this way. Don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. The second thing is, be careful who you hang out with. 
because I'll tell you why angry people may not be angry at the same thing you are, but they'll feed your anger. Third thing we can do, keep a close watch on our tongue and on our mind. Psalm 1914, the psalmist says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, my mind, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Two things he's talking about. The first thing is our tongue. Proverbs 18:21. Words kill, words give life. There's either poison or fruit in what you say. You choose. The psalmist said it this way, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. Don't let your tongue, the words you speak, bring back your anger. Be careful what you say. If you've repented, then then stay free. If you've repented and you've asked God, then say, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about that. I'm not going to voice that anger. I've repented. God's promised me, set me free. That's it. So keep a watch on your tongue and then the meditation of my heart. I've heard it said that you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. That's talking about meditation. Listen, fleeting thoughts are always going to happen to you. But keep a close watch on what you continually think about. And that's not always easy. It isn't. Philippians says it this way. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true and noble and reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. What can we do to overcome anger? We can repent. We can stay away from angry people. We can guard, keep a close watch on our tongue and what we allow to stay in our mind. And the last one is this. Be honest with yourself. Don't let anger build up inside of you. You know what? I'm thinking of this and I'm not, I shouldn't be. This is just bringing anger. Listen to what Proverbs 27, 4 says. Anger is cruel and destroys like a flood. Let me say that again. Anger is cruel and destroys like a flood. Anger resident in us will destroy our lives. We can repent. We can stay away from those who are angry. We can keep a close watch on our tongue and our mind. We can be honest with ourselves. I noticed in our closing hymn this morning, the fourth verse says this, it tells of one whose loving heart can feel my deepest woe. Whatever anger, whatever frustration or unforgiveness that resides in your heart that you're living with today, whether it's been a short time or maybe a period of years,
you can lay it down this morning and be free from it if you'll just give it to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I love your word because your, your word teaches us how to live a life free from the traps of Satan. As a matter of fact, your son, when he was on the earth, said, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Lord, so often times when we live with anger and frustration and unforgiveness, no one else knows about it. Many times they do by our actions, but we don't think they do. But Lord, living with anger and frustration, unforgiveness is like living in a prison. It's like carrying a heavy load. You know what, I thank you that just a prayer to you. Father, forgive me for this anger. Forgive me, Father, for this unforgiveness. Father, I'm hurt, and that hurt has produced anger, but Lord, you can soothe over that hurt, and I choose to forgive. When we do that, Lord, that's like putting a bomb on the cut. We start the healing process. Maybe for some of us it means approaching someone and saying, you know what, I've been angry with you and I think you've wronged me. Maybe for others it's just very quietly saying this morning, God, I give you my anger. I give you my frustration with whether it's a son or a daughter or life or a sickness, a disease, it could be any number of things. And I thank you in the name of Jesus that we are set free. In Jesus' name, amen.